74 degrees out ATDR Studios. Time for our Phelps Health program. Summer over. Sean is your host. And it's always good to see Summer. I haven't seen her in a while. Good morning, Summer. Good Summer, morning. Summer over. You've seen me. Two weeks ago. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's funny because I think you um, put a, a another show that I did. You ran it I ran, last. I ran, yes. Phil, I ran Phil again. And it was funny because... Um, Hobie, who drives our patient transport van around campus, mm. he was listening, so he thought I was here, and then he saw me walking across the parking lot, and he couldn't, he was like, what's happening? <laughs> How can you be two places at once? I am way. that good. Yeah, yes. Well, you're pretty good. You can, sometimes you can be two places at one time. So, yes. Yeah. So, so but we have a new doctor. We do. Us. We have a new doctor in with us today, and we're so excited. Um, he has been, and it's kind of been in the works for about a year, I believe, or so, that you, they've been working to get him here and now he's finally here and with us today we have Dr. Dmitry Fomiltsev and he is a new cardiologist with the Phelps Health Medical Group. Welcome doctor. How are you? Hello. Doing good. <laughs> good. Hi, and so this before we get started um, with the program like I always like to do I like to let our, let our guests introduce themselves and talk a little bit about why they chose medicine, why they chose their specialty in, in particular, and what their special interests are, their their education background, just to get a little bit, for us to know you a little bit better. So I'm turning it over to you. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so my name is uh, Dr. Dmitry Fomiltsev. Um, I'm um, uh, originally um, from Russia. Um, I, um, I did my medical school there, and then uh, I came to the United States uh, to do the to work on my graduate degree. Um, I was getting a PhD in uh, uh, neuroscience, actually. I was working on Alzheimer's initially. Um, and um, I spent a few years in the uh, University of Louisville uh, where I got my PhD. And then um, I, I got really attracted to the uh, field of cardiology. Um, I wanted to do, uh, I want, always wanted to practice medicine. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as a part, when you come from another country, as a part of uh, requirement for you to get into the residency in that states, you have to uh, do what's it, what's called shadowing, or you have to uh, follow some physician to mm-hmm. uh, kind of get acquainted with the skills and uh, for them to know you uh, before they give you um, any recommendations for uh, uh, applications. And I was lucky enough to meet uh, a few people in uh, uh, cardiology. Uh, especially in heart failure field, advanced uh, transplant and heart failure field. And uh, uh, I, I got really, really interested in cardiology uh, through those people, through their passion for the things they do, uh, the way they save people, the way they help people live better lives. So that that got me really interested in this field. And then um, be, be, I always knew that I wanted to do cardiology since then, and, uh, but before you become a cardiologist uh, here, you have to go through internal medicine, um, which is a, a, a fantastic field of medicine by itself. Um, uh, you, you, it's, a good, um, it's a good basis for your knowledge as any cardiologist, I think, uh, should know internal medicine pretty well. And I did my internal medicine at the University of Louisville, um, and then moved to University of Arizona for uh, the cardiology fellowship mm-hmm. uh, where I graduated from uh, this year. Very nice, very nice. So you and your family, you have a, you have a wife and a, a young family, you moved here from Arizona. And why did you choose to come to Phelps Health? Um, initially, um, 
initially I was searching for a job uh, in, um, in the rural underserved area and um, uh, there was a few different options that I uh, uh, went through in, in my search. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, I found that uh, email in my email inbox uh, that uh, um, uh, Phelps Health looking for a cardiologist. And I thought, I'll give it a try. I've, mm -hmm. I've never heard of Rolla before. Mm -hmm. um, I've been to St. Louis, obviously living in Louisville. I've, I've visited St. Louis a couple of times, so I knew it was um, I knew what it was about in terms of you know the state. And, um, and I went to check it out, and I really loved. I really loved the people, the way they welcomed me, um, and uh, the most importantly, I, I saw a great potential in this hospital. Um, uh, I've, I've heard the story and, um, and, and, and I talked to people who were, some people were born in this hospital and it was just 20 plus bed hospital and the way it grown uh, is really amazing. Uh, this new cancer center that uh, they recently built uh, is and, and an amazing, I think, an amazing thing for people who cannot travel far with that um, debilitating disease and mm -hmm. get treatment right here. And um, um, the potential for development. I mean, they've they've promised me if I want if I want to get uh, um, um, learn how to manage the patients with. Uh, um, oncological diagnosis is called field called cardio-oncology that I'm mm -hmm. very interested in I will be able to get those courses and they will be able to send me and um, and they've been they've been keeping up with their promises pretty well so yeah. far very good yes. very good so today we're speaking with Phelps Health cardiologist Dr. Dmitry Fomeltsev about primary prevention and cardiology Dr. Fomeltsev is taking new patients so if you want to learn more about him you can visit phelpshealth.org or you can call 364-9000 so what does primary prevention mean? When we say that, what are we talking about? Uh, in a nutshell, the primary prevention is uh, a, a, um, a care for the patient that um, has no known disease but has risk factors um, and um, addressing those risk factors before the actual disease uh, strikes the patient. Uh, and that's called the primary prevention. It is uh, a separate from secondary prevention where patient have or had an event already, mm -hmm. uh, had a sig have significant disease, uh, knows how to uh, live with it. And our job as uh, cardiologists or practitioners in general is to prevent the event from happening again or giving the patient a exacerbated condition or giving the patient a complication. So that's a secondary prevention. Uh, the primary prevention is very important. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's it's catching the disease bef before the disease actually developed. Very good. So what age should you start regular checkups and what do they include? And, and as a two-part to that question, I would like to ask too, sometimes how would you even know that you did have an underlying condition that you would need to worry about? Because it's not something that you can see, obviously. Correct. So how would you know? Um, so cardiovascular disease in particular is a number one killer. Um, we're doing much better in preventing the disease and treating disease and making people with this disease live longer. But it's so prevalent that uh, probably most of us, if not everybody, are at risk of this disease. And that's related to our Western diet. Uh, it's, it's related to the fact that we don't move as much as we, as we should. So um, in general, 
cardiovascular health um, and prevention of cardiovascular disease is the process um, that we have to work uh, on as a team together with primary care doctors mm -hmm. and a cardiologist and other actually other lots of other specialties endocrinologists if you have diabetes for example and, and others it's a multi multidisciplinary approach uh, shown to be the best for uh, care of patients um, in general anybody uh, can at after 20 uh, after 20 years old considered um, to uh, advised to go and see the doctor uh, mm -hmm. at least once uh, and if everything looks okay in terms of their uh, uh, labs, if uh, doctor assessing the risks and says that the patient is a low risk, you can extend it to every five, six, seven years if everything looks okay. Um, however, uh, uh, patients who have a significant family history of uh, coronary vascular disease, uh, if somebody has uh, uh, relatives, especially immediate relatives like their father or mother who had cardiovascular disease or um, died of cardiovascular disease early at early age it's uh, considered to be 55 years old for, for men and uh, 65 years old or, or, or younger for a female those people definitely have to pay more attention to their cardiovascular health and be proactive in terms of searching um, help searching advice from the doctor um, uh, the um, age group that's considered um, a higher risk mm -hmm. is when you're 40 years old. Okay. 40 to 75 years old is where we have all those calculators where we can calculate your risks. Actually, you can <clears> punch <throat> the numbers in the computer. Um, you need you need to know those numbers before you can punch them in. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a, your first visit to doctor can actually tell you because that includes your blood pressure measurements, uh, which is averaged. Uh, your uh, cholesterol levels, the fact that you're smoking, the fact that you have diabetes, all those things are taken into consideration. And based on that, we calculate your atherosclerotic uh, cardiovascular disease risk uh, over 10 years. Is 40 the age for men and women then? That is correct. Okay. Usually, we, we, we uh, in general, um, uh, women uh, are a little bit more lucky because they're protected by their um, female hormones mm -hmm. called estrogen. Um, they uh, it, it changes the way their cholesterol uh, in the body is regulated, and uh, the the risk is lower. However, uh, different different women have uh, menopause at different age. Mm -hmm. uh, women who have early menopause are as um, under the as much risk. For developing cardiovascular disease as male at the, at the same age so it's all depend it, it all depends but mm -hmm. in general 40 to 75 is, is, is the a recommendation okay. where you, you kind of have to be a little bit more proactive in, mm -hmm. in, in seeking an advice and, and and making sure your health is fine yeah well, you made a good point earlier when you said that since cardiovascular disease is a leading killer in the united states and in many other places in the world that it's really something that everybody then should be taking some sort of primary prevention measures for, right? I mean, we tend to think, well, that's not really me, but we don't really know. So what are some of the things that we should be doing just in general for a more a healthier lifestyle? And what are some of the choices we should be making to kind of decrease our risk? Uh, definitely. Um, well, we all hear this every day and we all tell ourselves every day those things. Um, those are not new points. Um, things like diet, exercise, um, 
um, and, and, and bad lifestyle uh, choices such as uh, drinking too much alcohol and especially smoking. Mm -hmm. Those all things that are modifiable risk, many of them are modifiable risk factors. For example, the, the fact that you have a bad um, uh, family history, well, you can't choose your parents. Right. That is uh, difficult to modify the, the genetics of, of itself. However, the fact that um, a, a person chose to smoke, um, um, especially for a long time, um, uh, that is a modifiable risk factor. It's been shown over and over that seeing a doctor and hearing this advice from a doctor, such as simply quit smoking, actually increases the chance of a patient to quit smoking. Um, I don't know what it is, it's a white, white coat syndrome mm -hmm. of some sort mm -hmm. or something, but when your relatives tell you to quit, you don't listen to them as much as you listen to your doctor because the doctor maybe can explain it to you in more details right. and, and can give you the information uh, about what actually can happen if you don't don't quit. So um, if, um, if we're talking about um, the diet, uh, eating healthy diet, um, unfortunately can be expensive uh, for many people, um, but uh, there are a few things, it's, it's kind of a, a stepwise um, thing where you probably don't want to or can't switch from eating, um, eating unhealthy, eating fast food every day to completely, you know, eat avocados every day. Right, right. So do you recommend just small, manageable changes? Y yes, I think those are the best ones. You should, you, should, you should change your diet little by little every day, every week. Uh, exclude things that you know are bad for you, such as trans fats. They, they still have a lot of those and sweets and fast food. And um, eating more vegetables, fruits. Uh, if you if you like to eat bread, eat whole whole grain bread, um, legumes, nuts are actually really really good for you. Uh, you have to be careful with this with the salty nuts mm -hmm. because salt is um, in general not not a good not a good, good thing to eat. And then there is a latest study, a Mediterranean diet they call it, um, uh, exchanging um, red meat and <coughs> animal based protein for a, 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 a plant based protein shown to actually decrease cardiovascular risk significantly. Um, if, if you cannot leave a day without meat, um, fish is, really, is, is a really good type of meat, uh, which is full of omega-3, for example, that mm -hmm. uh, we supplement people and it is shown to decrease triglycerides level and lipids level. Uh, most important thing here is, of course, moderation. Right. You have, to, you have to do this all in moderation. One thing, when I always see a patient in, in the clinic and we try to kind of institute uh, the um, changes in their dietary habits, especially when they're diabetic or overweight, we talk about the fact that they may be in a lower socioeconomic status and they can't afford buying you know, vegetables or, or, or fruits every day. I always ask them if they drink soda. Many patients, unfortunately, still drink a lot of regular sodas. They don't even understand or, 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 or don't want to think about the fact that it's full of sugar and the sugar is all extra sugar that we get, all extra calories, especially from sugar that we get, eventually turns into fat in our body. That's how our body is designed. Um, uh, we, we, we have 
we all we'll have to have that fat storage yeah. for a, a bad day, you know. And, and, and uh, uh, I always advise them, start with your sodas. Either switch to diet, which in general, in the long term, I wouldn't recommend as well because there's some studies that say diet, diet sodas lead to actually obesity as well. And the reason is people eat more because it's a sweet taste without extra calories. But as a first step, especially mm-hmm. if you're diabetic, switching to diet soda is a fantastic plan. And also you were saying, you know, if, if you're not able maybe to buy as much, soda can be expensive. So if you just make that switch and maybe use that money that you're buying for soda, you can buy some, some fruits or, or vegetables, right? Same concept with yeah. smoking. People, yeah, people, right. People say they smoke um, and they don't have... Uh, they don't have money for food, but, right? And I ask them how much how much the you know the pack of uh, cigarettes cost you. And imagine if you could quit smoking, you would probably kill two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't. You would de- decrease your risk from smoking, and you would you would probably will be able to afford a little bit more, um, a little bit better food. Right. So with smoking, then how do you recommend people quit? Uh, the smoke, uh, I love that Mark Twain quote, quote uh, not everybody heard it, and I'm not sure if I'm citing it right, but in, in, in a very uh, liberal interpretation, he, he once said, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing easier than quit, quitting smoking. Uh, I did it about 100 times. Yeah. So, um, so um, it takes several attempts for, the most peop- for most people. And, and, and again, as I said earlier, seeing a doctor and hearing your doctor nagging you about that smoking habit, especially mm-hmm. if you have a good relationships with your doctor, is actually very, very helpful. Uh, people people quit uh, much with much more success than than just hearing from somebody else. Second, uh, people f- sometimes forget about secondhand smoke. If somebody smokes in your family, especially indoors, it is almost as bad as you smoking yourself, uh, especially as a kid mm-hmm. when you're exposed to a lot of smoke. So. Um, um, I frequently tell parents or grandparents that, you, that if they have grandkids or, or kids to think about them mm-hmm. if they are taking that risks for their own health uh, and don't and unwilling to quit smoking they should take into consideration their their, their kids that, and, and that they probably harming them as well right. and a lot of people are more willing to do it for their loved ones rather than themselves for some you know that's just the way we are we that, tend to try to protect them even if we're doing something so that probably is reaching a lot of people that's correct and usually uh, we set goals uh, when, when there's several stages of quitting one of it is contemplating another one is active quitting and when people contemplate of quitting they say doc I really want I, it's hard I tried uh, it's really hard. It's it's a bad. I've been smoking my whole life, mm-hmm. and you want me to quit? It is very difficult. It's an addiction. Um, the, what what helps is setting the date. We usually choose the upcoming event, such as what's important for them, at the, their own birthday or birthday mm-hmm. of their loved ones, or some holiday, Christmas or Thanksgiving, and we say, well, let's do this. By Thanksgiving, you either completely quit, or if you can't, decrease from two packs per day to a pack per day, and then we'll choose another goal. And, and, and when the people set goals like that, they, they, it, it helps, it's very helpful. And when they meet them, they have more incentive to try for the next one. It's a reward, yes, yes. it's a reward system. So um, uh, there's a lot of things that we can prescribe. When in cardiology clinic, I prescribe very frequently uh, nicotine patches, uh, gums, those things are actually really helpful. There are medications actually that can help as well. All medications have some side effects, but um, 
uh, with a good supervision and the, the, the benefits definitely outweigh risks to try those medicines if nothing else helps. Right. And we were talking a little bit before the program started in the hall, and I was asking you about the, the vaping. That's kind of become the new, quote unquote, safe alternative to cigarette smoking. What are your thoughts on that? There's a lot of uh, vape, vapor shops out there. They pop up like mushrooms, and uh, they're doing pretty well, I'm guessing. Uh, in general, vaping is not is not a good idea um, number one uh, it's still shown to be harmful for you um, as much as, as, as smoking cigarettes uh, for your cardiovascular health uh, and number two uh, you probably when you vaping you you, you you actually didn't quit you substituted something for something else and um, it's, it's it is probably easier for you to go back to a cigarette when you don't have access to your vaping and, and, and stuff like that so uh, quitting is quitting. Right. Yep. Right. So what about exercise? Oh, that's, that's my favorite topic. Um, we don't exercise at 30% of, I think there's this recent study came out 30% of, uh, or even more than that of, of a, a population of the United States have zero activity. A zero activity means you just basically literally walk into your car using elevator and back that's all you do your whole life uh, and it's and that's disturbing i mean it's a giant number no 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 one wants to walk anymore and and, and, and forget the running uh, in general um recommendations is there's there's a there's a level of intensity for activity depending on what you do it's low intensity is just a regular slow walking as moderate activity where you um where you walk, it's a brisk brisk walk um, and, and, and do a little bit more stuff than, than just, just just slow walking and the, and the intense activity is actually the running or mm -hmm. swimming laps mm -hmm. uh, recommendation is um, everybody should do hundred fifty uh, minutes uh, of activity a week it's a moderate activity uh, or um, about 75 minutes of vigorous activity Lots of patients that we see uh, have problems with obesity, have problems with their joints. It's just impossible for them to start suddenly running on the treadmill. The most important thing to remember is going from zero to one on the scale, even zero to hundred, is much better than staying at zero. Right. Again, the same thing with like with diet. You got to do it gradually, increase your activity, and know that if you have increased your activity to the consistent levels, even if it's just a little bit, you decrease your cardiovascular risks and dying from heart attack, stroke, and uh, uh, other types of vascular diseases significantly. So even doing some sort of activity is, is truly better than doing nothing at all. That is because correct. a lot of people feel like, well, they hear you say 150 minutes, and then they just get overwhelmed and like, I can't do that. Right. But if they just do five, if they just do 10, mm -hmm. that's something. Well, just think about 150 minutes is probably 20 minutes of of just a, a, a fast walk in, in the park a day. Um, if you don't have any debilitating condition that prevents you from doing this, 20 minutes is nothing. 20, mm -hmm. minutes, 20 minutes to get you a great benefit for your health is, is a must do. So what types of symptoms or conditions would warrant a visit to see a cardiologist? Um, there, there are risk factors that we definitely uh, pay more close attention to. Um, it's, um, um, 
it's, it's a red flags um, if you have as we mentioned earlier a um, family history a significant family history of heart disease heart attacks or strokes in, in somebody uh, who is immediate relative of yours especially when they are younger than 55 years years for males and 65 for females if you have known uh, genetic abnormality or your family has known mm-hmm. genetic abnormalities such as familial hyperglyceridemia which is basically a extremely high uh, cholesterol lipid level in the body that, that is a genetics and it's usually an a, a genetics that is transferred to uh, from from the from father or mother to their to their kids mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in an extremely high chances um, uh, some people um, have a family history of dilated cardiomyopathy which is heart failure uh, especially if you have a lot of relatives uh, who have heart failure um, you probably should should be checked you should be paying attention to this um, and um, uh, there, there, there's, there's thick hearts, the structural heart disease that can cause some cardiac deaths, mm-hmm. especially in patients who want to be competitive athletes and things like this. This is a very important history. When somebody had a sudden cardiac death in your family, especially young, or you know, single vehicle accident, we never knew, we never know what happened. He was healthy, and suddenly mm-hmm. he hit the pole. Um, wasn't drunk or anything. Mm-hmm. That's kind of suspicious. For why did this patient die? Why did why did this person die? What you know, mm-hmm. and and we have to check those patients more closely. People with diabetes is a large population. People with uncontrolled high blood pressure, their primary care trying to control that blood pressure, and it's very difficult, and it's, it remains resistance. We have to find there's five percent of people who have secondary hypertension uh, causes either restricted uh, blood flow in the kidneys or some uh, hormonal abnormalities. We all we all, it's worth checking checking those those tests and making sure that there's nothing else we're missing that can help to control that blood pressure. Um, smokers. Diabetics; those are people who are at high risk. Right, and we had a whole lot more to talk about, but we are out of time. Oh, it goes right. very, very fast. So I will definitely like to have you back on the program, and we can continue this conversation again. We've been speaking today with Dr. Dmitry Fomeltsev, who is our new cardiologist with the Phelps Health Medical Group. He is accepting new patients. Please call three six four nine thousand or visit Phelps Health Health Excuse Me dot org. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you.